That's all I can say right now, Janet Lee. Wow. <clears throat> totally, totally awesome. Thank you so very much. And hello, everybody out there. Well, we've got a lot of ground to cover here today. So you need to hang in. It's, um, it's awesome to just have so much on your spiritual plate that uh, you need borders around it to keep it all on. Well, I want to start today reading from the book that is called The Seven Thunders Speak, Manifest Chronicles Before Genesis. And it is on page 76, and it reads like this. Then I am, in mercy, allowed the dark hordes that were not abominable to be placed in states of suspension by changing each one's lattice and wavelengths to sterile seeds while, uh, while allowing each one's mental image identities, or as it may be said, forms for consciousness to remain as codes of punctuated points. Having done all that was just, the I am sped from the inner alpha substance until M's alpha going was meeting M's omega coming. Then M said, let the inner alpha construction successions be no more. Let the outer alpha successions begin. For alpha shall always be, even as alpha has always been, and new beginning shall always begin. Therefore, each, therefore, even as new beginnings shall begin, new endings shall also occur. Thus, creation period shall always begin, and creation period shall always end. So be it, the creation of new worlds shall always occur without end. Punctuated dots. The dark hordes that hadn't created abominable sins. Put in states of suspension. Absolutely staggeringly amazing. And so we see that in the Word of God, there are photo transitions, expressions, comments, statements, commentary that is absolutely deep of mystery. And it is not uncommon in the scriptures of the Bible to call those mysteries and those deep places to be like places of darkness. We find in Psalms how that, that God goes into this deep darkness and can be found there in this deep darkness. And that the Bible says that those places that are considered to be light and those places that are considered to be dark have no difference unto God. We begin to understand that equations, when it comes to God accountings, are rounded out in a much different way 
than the mathematicians and the scientists and the astronomers of the modern times that we live account for. And we find it right on the street of incredibility where God takes us on walks. He walks with us and he talks with us and he tells us that we are his own. And the joys that we share are called enlightenments because we live in this abiding place of humanness, of being a mortal, bound in the chains of the molecular, of the physical body. And we are what the Bible calls in the land of lost memories. And in that land of lost memories, there is much darkness, darkness of mystery, darkness of the unknown, darkness in some cases of the forbidden. And though many persons strain through their physical strengths and their physical mentations to discover these mysteries, the Bible says there is a path that no vultures or unclean beast know. There is a gate. And sometimes those gates are called doors. And Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will open unto me, I will come in and I will sup with him and that person shall sup with me. There has always been, from the beginning of time and before the beginning of time, a thing with God about making it possible for all entities that would rise to come into the knowledge of God if they were willing and if they sought by their will to do so. But God also was great on giving un, unenduring time. Unenduring time is time that People do not have the strength in their mind to be able to conceive it because it is so far out of the mind for duration that it's beyond the human cliff. People just fall off. But yet, those places do exist and survive. And the dark hordes 
<clears throat> they get a chance. They get a chance. And the Bible says they get a time and a chance. <clears throat> so, here we go. I want to read from the broadcast announcement to begin with. Today is Sunday, and guess what, folks? May 1st, and this is 2016, and we're talking today about Exodus 27, and the theme is the dark side of Moses. Let me begin reading this writ that we sent out in our mailing list. And by the way, if you, are, if you are not on the mailing list, come to the Manifesto Facebook and tell me that you're not, and we'll see to it that you get on. If you're not on the Manifest, Manifestors Yada or the Manifest Vester Yada's website or not on the mail out or not on the Facebook, go to the Facebook and request to be put on it. Okay, here it goes. <clears throat> the surface image of a human is not dependable for revealing the figure of a person. We have to understand this thing about depth, which is dimension, is extremely important. And when we look at things from the surface, it does not tell you the whole truth and nothing but the whole truth. It only does what the Bible says, you know in part, you prophesy in part, but there will have to come a day when that situation of only knowing in part will have to be changed because it is the will of God for people to not just know in part. So we come to understand there are 30-fold depths, 60-fold depths, and hundredfold depths. Now one would think that looking at the difference between the 30-fold, the 60-fold, and the 100-fold, that as you moved up <clears throat> in the different folds of light, that you would begin to see a greater and greater intensity. But actually, to the outsider and to the beginner, when he looks at those different folds as they are moved up the scale, they seem deeper and deeper of darkness. And like the example when the children of Israel were fleeing from the Egyptian army, and there's this cloud that came between them. <clears throat> to the Pharaoh and to the um, to the Egyptians, the cloud looked very dark, 
It was very dark, and it, it became a block to them. It was too dark for them to continue in their pursuit. They would wait. But to the Israelites, because of their advanced knowledge of spiritual things and advanced exposure to some of these things, it did not look dark. It looked, it looked like an enlightening type of light. Uh, it looked light. So we can say that these states of depth are states of being. They are states of the mind. So the surface does not get you to the root. There's so much when you start getting into the roots that are stories told that are absolutely amazing and awesome. Nor is the inner nature of a person accessible to other humans unless they possess the gift of the discerning of spirits. The trial of knowing a person by acts of life over a period of time is generally the best way to discover a person's character. Then, of course, there are written biographies, sometimes very informing. However, there is a dark side of mortals that sometimes not even a scintilla of it is known until some crude act is made public. The forces of happenstance that work at making a person be what they become and the way they are is far from being understood and known. The offering to be born again from above, made by Jesus to humankind, offers more, more remedies and solutions than but few of the Christian masses who preach about it understand. The youthfulness, or I guess that's all right to put it that way, but let's call it the way I have it written, the usefulness of truth for many may be a lifetime away from understanding what it means to be born again. But there is a bearing point. When you are weighed in the scales of balance, God's accounting ratio decides between your dark side and your light side. A major bearing point is that God takes into accounting where you are at as to your rights of a time and a chance. If it turns out that you have a greater positive good than your negative dark side. Now, remember this. If it says there is a negative dark, dark side, then that automatically creates a positive dark side. Because you cannot have one without the other. Otherwise, you just have a dark side. It's not negative. It only can be negative as it is contrasted to something that is positive. Then you will be accounted as privileged. On the light side, above the count of your dark side, even though you have still within you or within your personal domain the reality and the influence of the dark side. So, we know that the Bible says that there were things that Moses 
said or Moses did that was accounted to his faith. So in the counting of God, there are things that are accounted to you. And that is not something that, that is very well known by the human masses. The forces of happenstance that work by making or at making a person to be what they become and the way they are is far from being understood and known. We read that and that was so neat. Okay, let's go on. From a child, Moses was exposed to the killing machines of the Egyptian military. Killing the enemy became a second nature to Moses. And victory by the death of the enemy was a pleasant thing to him. Moses was a fearless soldier <clears throat> and received commandment on the Mount of Sinai, thou shalt not kill. And this was very, very difficult for him to understand. Comparatively, the Bible says that David was not allowed to build the house of the Lord because he had blood on his hands. But he was allowed to receive from the Spirit the revelation how to build it and the spiritual significance of the holy articles. David was very fearful of the Ark of the Covenant. And Paul said that when Moses was on the mount, he became so fearful, he, you know, also he became fearful uh, of the holy entities. And the holy things caused him to even tremble, actually to tremble. Controversially, as it may seem, some of the religious and spiritual concepts that Moses proposed were tainted by the teachings of, of um, Egyptian priests and Midian priests. Now, we could say tainted or we could say tinted because if you say tainted, then there exists a tinted. If you say tinted, then there resists exist a tainted. So in this case, we actually did say tinted, which means that there was some kind of color of effect that happened to Moses, affected Moses, from teachings of Egyptian priests and teachings of Midian priests. And these were in addition to the instructors that he, instructions he received from the angels in Yahweh or Yahweh. Job, though, said to be a perfect man in his day, also had a dark side, but overcame it, and Moses overcame the dark side. So we could go on and read a little bit more, but the only part that I really want to read is... The Bible says, whosoever sows, sows the wind will reap the whirlwind. And though this can be applied to the negative, it can also be applied to the positive. And Jesus said, it is not what goes into a man that corrupts a man, but what comes out. Consequently, this means that somehow within the man, there has to happen a churning that either brings forth the good or the evil, that would come out. And we call this an inner churning. And it is a mystery. We're going to talk about this.
Okay, the dark side of Moses. Wow. People might think that, well, Moses had a dark side? Yes, he did. But I haven't really gotten into explaining what that was yet. We did talk about Egypt, uh, Exodus fourteen twenty, how that a cloud to the Israelites seemed like light, but the same cloud to the Egyptians seemed like darkness. <clears throat> but in the beginning, when Mo Moses was really beginning to come into the enlightenment of his ministry and his call, Exodus twenty twenty one says. <clears throat> Moses drew near to the thick darkness. You want to know about the dark side of Moses? I'm starting to tell you now. Moses drew near to the thick darkness. And in Psalms, it tells us about that God can be in that thick darkness. Isaiah 45, 3 talks about a case in which he speaks and he says, and I will give you the treasures of darkness. Darkness can have treasures. And the kind of darkness that we are really talking about, being the dark side of Moses, are these treasures and these mysteries that for a long time Moses did not have, did not know, because it had not opened in his, in his mind or in his brain. And he really did not know for sure who he was and why he was there, where he was and where he may have come from and where he was really headed. And that was the dark side of Moses. And Moses had to draw near to that thick darkness Exodus 20, 21. And to repeat Isaiah 45, 3, because it so beautifully goes along with this, I will give you the treasures of darkness. He discovered a burning bush. And a voice spoke out of this burning bush. And he discovered, because he was a scientist himself, that there was something happening there along the line of perpetual energy. Something was showing an energizing without there being anything that seems to be furnishing the substance or the, the energy to make that energy. So we begin to see that there was very, very important revelations that were not known to Moses because that was a dark side of him. He just did not know. For a while he didn't know if he was an Egyptian or a Hebrew. For a while he did not know if his war for the Egyptians was the right war or if he was to become a Hebrew and war for them.
he was fighting a great darkness. And the question of who was Moses is an absolutely fit and proper question to ask. To, to grasp who Moses was and to grasp the salvation that was in the bull rushes of the Nile. We could call it factor X. There is a darkness that has to do with the timing of Exodus. This is one of the most under, least understood situations as to why the Exodus cannot hardly be believed. Well, for one thing, they never understood the revelation that was revealed to the dark side of Moses. And they never understood that the timing, instead of it being 1495 B.C., might have been 2450 B.C. Now that means it was a lot earlier time than what has been imagined, and there's reasons why they think it could be this other date, but there's a darkness there that they haven't shed light on. Well, what we want to do today is reveal something that is just absolutely astounding. We want to reveal who Moses really was and why Moses was that person. And we want to show you how that Moses was Seth. S-E-T-H, sometimes spelled S-H-E-T-H. And we show you scripture for that. And that's astounding. And for Moses to understand who he really was would mean everything. The Egyptians had gods. One of their gods was Amon, A-M-O-N. And sometimes it would be changed in spelling to Amen, depending on how it was being applied. Then there was um, Throth, T-H-O-T-H, and Horus. H-O-R-U-S. These were gods. But with all of those gods, Pharaoh seemed to have some confidence in the, the god of, of Moses because at least two times the Pharaoh asked Moses to intercede on his behalf and ask his god to bless him. You see, the Pharaoh did not understand the dark side of Moses. But he knew there must be something to it 
because of the tremendous capability to even outdo all his best magicians. And when the children of Israel actually did escape under the guise of just going out to worship and then return, the Pharaoh and his army pursued them. And I've read you and taught to you in the past from the, the Bible the scripture that showed that they, they went after them for a reason. They went after them because of that they had taken from the treasure cities some very valuable things and they begin to realize that these people that we, they had allowed to let go were some brilliant scientists that they were allowing to get out of their country. So the target of their pursuit, for one thing, was definitely Moses and the Levites. Because they had knowledge that involved designs of, about metal and jewelry and equipment with which Moses and his Levites had tremendous scientific talents and knowledge. Not to mention some of the very latest inventions that the Egyptians were working with, but were depending on Moses for his scientific input. And now Moses and, Moses and the Levites had absconded with all of that knowledge and all of that value and riches. Because there obviously was a knowledge about electrical power. And there's a whole story to be told about that, but I won't have the time today. But we do know that the Ark of the Covenant, that it had electrical capability. And people that were not grounded, that touched it, could be electrocuted, which did happen. And many signs and wonders came out from the electrical capability of the Ark of the Covenant. And there are so many, many unusual things. You know, we wonder where the name Pyramid came from. And if you look at the, the spelling of Pyramid, P-Y-R, the first few letters, it has a similarity to the word P-Y-R-E, which is what they would take a bunch of wood and put it in a pile and make a burning for a funeral. But it was also considered an artificial mountain. And they say that some of the pyramids had metal caps on them. And this would conduct Elmo's fire when lightning would hit it and cause lightning to run on the ground. And the poor ignorant Egyptians that were just workers 
just were in awe and fear of the pyramids because of some of these kind of things. So it is beyond question utterly amazing of all the things that that there are that are connected to this. Now, last week we talked about the whirlwind and how that that is a, a ministry. And we, um, we mentioned how that in Genesis 8-1, the wind actually comes from the root meaning whirlwind, that it talks about the wind passing over, caused the, 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 the waters of the flood to reside and to begin to diminish. And we talk about the whirlwind that took Elijah up in 2 Kings 2, 1 through 11. And the whirlwind of Job 38, 1 that revealed the, uh, the mystery of the morning stars. And we talked about uh, Isaiah's description in 5, 26 through 28 of the wheels like whirlwinds. Ezekiel's incredible dialogue and revelation of the whirlwinds out of the north. Ezekiel 1.4 and Hosea's 8.7 Sow the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. And how that these are tied into my introductory letter I sent you on about the teaching of the churnings, the churnings, the spinnings, the rushings, the quickenings. Well, I want to read, let me read something here in, in Ezekiel 43. I just, uh, I just feel it, it needs to be read and just talked about because it is, um, it is truly awesome in its writ. So if you do have your Bible, you can turn with me and we'll read it. Uh, okay, and, and let's uh, just all go to it right now. Ezekiel 43. And um, here is what it, what it says. And we're looking at Ezekiel 43, verses 1 through 6. And afterwards he brought me to the gate, even the gate, that looks toward the east. You know, I understand what this could be said to be meant. But in the, the differentiation of what is light and what is dark, afterwards, a whole list of things that have to bring you to a conclusion. You come to a gate. And the gate has a direction. And it is looking toward the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. So this thing that it is looking for this gate, this door, this knowledge is tied into with the direction. 
comes from the way of the east. And his voice was like a noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. Now the door that Moses looked into when he looked into the burning bush, he was like that. There was a voice of many living waters. And there was a shining, a fire, as you could call it, that was coming out of it. And according to the appearance of the vision which I saw, even according to the appearance that I saw when I came to destroy the city, and the visions were like the vision that I saw by the river Chabar, and I fell upon my face. Sometimes you have an intensity and you feel like you've just got to go out and destroy things. But when you really get into the revelation of that darkness to where you see the light that's in it and the meaning that's in it, the glory of it changes you. The prospect of it changes you. So the Spirit took me up and brought me to the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. Now if you're the, the house, and we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and it filled the house, that becomes the Holy Ghost when you're filled. And it's an inner court, and it's, it's the Spirit, and it takes you up. Now, though you may think that you are still down inside the human, when you actually get into that kind of, of space, space is totally different as to position than you might think because it has a connection like entanglement that though you may be touched down at one part, you are also all the way across the universe in alignment to, an, to another part. And I heard him speaking unto me out of the house, and the man stood by me. And that's what is happening today, as God is speaking by this whirlwind ministry and wanting to show the people here this revelation of being able by the Holy Ghost to speak directly to God. You'll see how important that this is. As Jan takes me on a break.
Thank you again, Janet Lee. Wow. What else can I say? This is a wow day. <laughs> okay. Okay, so we move on. Last week, we talked about body ministry, the arms of Moses in Exodus 17, 8 through 14, and how that Aaron and her, H-U-R, uh, were used to hold up the arms of, of Moses along with a stone uh, so that as long as his arm was and rod were up, that uh, he, could, he could continue on and, uh, and he could win uh, and the children of Israel could win uh, the battle. And so it uh, was very beautiful and very awesome, uh, that story. But then we showed you how that because um, these two persons, Aaron and her, who were in charge while Moses was up on the mount, and they totally failed their ministry at that time, that they lost out to getting the credit for that body ministry, and it went to Joshua and Caleb. And, uh, and that, um, you know, Joshua and Caleb were like the only two persons from the old side of, of those people that were the original people that left Egypt. Uh, they weren't the, the new uh, persons that were raised up from children and, you know, because they were in the wilderness for 40 years. They were, they, 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 they were the original. And, and so there's a real connection there. And there's a connection with the, with the revelation of the rod, the rod ministry. Uh, you know, we, we, we see in, um, in the book of, uh, I, th I think it's Numbers, uh, but it's, it's in the Bible, there of the writings, uh, Torah writings of Moses, where, um, you know, uh, there, there are these, there are these uh, persons that, that, that uh, were chosen, and these persons that were chosen uh, were given rods, and their name was written on it, and they represented the father ministry. And each father ministry represented the whole tribe. And there was 12 of them. And, and so that this rod ministry is very, very important to understand as we're going to be getting into it, maybe not today, but eventually uh, we're going to get into, uh, you know, a, a lot of things. And, and uh, we're going to really uh, need to, to see some beautiful, uh, beautiful things that, that God has to reveal as we get up the road. Now, uh, I want to talk about something very important. Um, I had this on my mind the last few times to talk about it, but just haven't been able to, to get to that point. And that is that as we begin to get into this spirit-to-spirit -spirit ministry and the spirit-to-spirit -spirit seeking the Holy Ghost as described in the 14th uh, chapter of, of, uh, of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that it will be very important to remember some things, that there, there have been uh, movements, there have been revivals uh, that have happened in the past, and um, some of these have fallen apart and come to naught eventually. And um, if we were you know, to talk about that there's a, a potential new Holy Ghost spirit-to-spirit -spirit wave that is about to begin, and this has to do with a new revelation of the Holy Ghost. We have to also remember that in the past there have been numerous 
movements of the Holy Spirit uh, throughout history. And um, uh, things have been tied into different denominational concepts. The holiness movement, uh, <clears throat> the Pentecostal outpouring, uh, the Lateran and the healing uh, movements, uh, the evangelistical and, and uh, charismatic movements. Um, it, it, it just goes on as, as those uh, spread into also many different uh, denominations and um, creating, uh, you know, uh, new uh, kinds of ministries. And um, we, um, we see how that, that there were things that, that, uh, that were, were pretty outstanding that happened. You remember like in the, um, uh, the Korean church movement, uh, the cell church explosion, uh, and the concepts there, uh, it just goes on and on and on of some of the classical kind of uh, of movements that have happened. Uh, charismatic movement in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, it would it would it would be pages and pages of the special kind of movements that have happened around the world, and uh, and it's it's. Wonderful and beautiful that those things did happen, but like the one I'd like to particularly talk about was in uh, the Azusa Street revival, A Z U S A or A Z U S A, and um, that happened in uh, the Los Angeles, California area, and and how that um, that some very purposeful things that occurred is what brought it to the end. And, and um, like for instance, um, they say that one of the biggest setbacks of the Azusa Street Revival uh, came with the loss of their mailing list. The lady who had been handling that just one day decided to get up and leave the movement and she took all the names of the subscribers with her and no one else had copy of the name. And when she did that, they couldn't send out the, inform the, the information anymore. And they couldn't uh, uh, update uh, the people of what was going on. And so uh, it's just a very, very sad thing that that happened. Uh, and it's, uh, it's very, very serious that uh, there was such a loss as that occurred. Um, but it, it did. And um, then some people got involved in this Holy Spirit charismatic meeting and decided to, you know, make it a little bit more holy. And they start finding fault with people that wore neckties. And um, they thought that that wasn't a holy thing. And they begin to, to, to get, you know, argumentative about their particular view of doctrine. And, um, and uh, so eventually, uh, this incredible, awesome revival of the Holy Ghost died of trivial dis uh, diseases. Uh, just not important things at all that people let build up and get in the way, and that just ended up uh, destroying, you know, someone decided that, uh, that 
you know, sanctification be should be more important, or the grace should be more important to be talked about, or or some of the different things. And you know, but Paul wrote and he said, you know, laying aside the principles of the foundations of the doctrines of Jesus Christ, and he named all these important ones. He said, let us go on to perfection. <clears throat> he certainly had the right idea, and um, and it's it's sad when. When people uh, don't don't know these things or consider these things, but anyway, those things uh, just happen, and we don't know why they happen like that. But it all happens to do with people, and uh, and I don't know why that uh, those things have to happen with people, um, but they but they do. And 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 then, as a result of it, we end up losing an entire incredible spiritual movement. So I guess what I want to share with you out of that today is that we have something absolutely awesome in this revelation of the the Exodus escape of the spirit to spirit revelation of all the other revelations, including some I'm going to share with you today. And and uh, I, I've often told people, I say, you know, you may not understand everything that I'm saying right now, but just put it on the shelf because there is the dark side of Moses. And and there's the dark side of, of Jerry Lee the Manifester. That doesn't mean something bad. Because there's the positive darkness and the negative darkness. But it means that there are some very deep, profound things that are in such a deep place that to many people, they, they look like darkness. It's a dark side. But as you begin to get under the cloud and you begin to get into the, the place where you are ready, God will turn that darkness to light because that is a place that we have to go sometimes to really find God and to be led out of Egypt. And, uh, and so God is moving by his spirit and, and he wants us to, to be free. And, and you know, uh, I've always known that when new things in the technological advance were happening in the physical science world, that there was a parallel in the spiritual world. For instance, there is a new technology that's being used to view pyramids deeply within. And it, it treats a, a pyramid just like an x-ray, and they can just see right inside, and they use murons, which are cosmic particles, uh, and they use those to that can because they can penetrate any material and and they constantly rain down on earth they found a way to use them and be able to start looking right into pyramids and seeing everything if there's anything hidden in there or not well before they had that the dark side of the pyramid was the passages that they didn't even know for sure if they existed in some of the pyramids they found some passages, but even then there's aspects that there are, there's a dark side to, 
to the pyramids. There's many, many things that they still don't know about that. But those dark sides can be positive if you know what they mean. And here we have this new technology that has come out, beginning to reveal these things. And so we have to understand that that in the spiritual world, there's going to be things happening that are equal or even greater than that in the spirituality that is going to be revealing things that heretofore have been on the dark side because they've been hidden inside these big, big, uh, huge, monumental uh, uh, stones that were multiple tons uh, beyond belief almost. And, and, and they were just not accessible. Um, even if you broke into some part, you, you didn't really get the picture of, of the whole pyramid. But now, in the spiritual side, God is opening up these things that have belonged to the dark side, but are now being brought into a discovery by the Spirit. Even in the dinosaur world, that goes back 68 million years. They have found a, 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 you know, a, a medullary bone uh, in a female T-Rex uh, that is of the nature, and it dates back 68 million years, that it's the kind of bone that would form in, in a female um, uh, T-Rex just before it was you know, getting ready to lay eggs so that it would take care of the calcium need. And they say that they believe there is a possibility, regardless of this 68 million years, that there might have been preserved in that particular kind of bone some DNA from which they may be able to do some interesting things. So it takes light, traveling at this incredible speed of light, to travel from one end of our galaxy, the Milky Way, to the other, it takes it 100,000 years. And when you go back in time or forward in time, it depends which way you are traveling and which way the door, the gate, the door is looking. If it's looking to the east or if it's looking to the west or if it's looking to the north or if it's looking to the south. And, and there's, there's a time thing there. But they say that sometimes by going to, into the reverse, you actually can be going into the, into the future. Now, they're really working on salamanders and have been for some time because they are a critter that can totally renew every part of their body, every part of their body parts they can renew. So things are changing in the physical world that are going to possibly allow greater and greater longevity of humans. And there's a restorability that is, that is happening. And there are even things people are discovering, you know, like, like uh, there has been such an incredible thing that people have said, uh, and it's, it's really a big thing. It's, it's happened in the, with scholars. It's happened with scientists. And they're just denying that there ever was a Moses. And that, that there was ever even a people of Israel. You know? But they have found in this um, 
a, a steed, I call it. It's a special plate uh, that is a historical plate of a pharaoh uh, that was hoping, hoping to reestablish Egyptian control in, in, in uh, Canaan. And he lived in the 12th and 11th centuries, the year 1219. Uh, uh, and in his writings, he claims to have destroyed all the people of Israel. And he talks about the Habiro, Habiru, which is another way they spelled the name Hebrew. And, and uh, so, you know, they're finding more and more all the time things that reveal that these people that they thought never did exist, that they did exist. And there have been questions never adequately answered in the church world. There is missing today in the most, uh, in most theological aspects, a clear thrust into the internal reality. That, that clear thrust into internal reality just has not happened. And there is much theology that has accentuated subjects of the Bible and never presented chief issues. But instead they have accentuated subjects and presented them as chief issues that were issues that belonged to a sideline of subjects. Consequently, the chief internal issues were denied emphatic recognition mainly because most theology failed or refused to understand, now get this, that all possibilities are equally true. If you have a single possibility and you have one or you have two or you have three or you have a dozen, Whatever of those possibilities that you find, then they all have an equal truth. And then when, when Jesus says all things are possible, then every possibility of the all that are possible are equal. And we have to realize that there's all of these equal possibilities, but some of them have never had the door open to their glories. They are in a mysterious darkness. And we'll see as we get into this thing about Moses, how that he was in this mysterious darkness in his own self and to even the people of Israel. But we'll see the incredible beauty of it and who he really was and why he was who he was. So these theological acts that have been deliberate in their dismissing of important possibilities by their interpretation of the scriptures has been a thing of the past and an ongoing thing of the present. And those acts of changing the potential of the possible have reduced the revelation of the full word of God and have become religious predispositions that themselves were nothing but hypotheses. And they have basically charged 
others with these interpretations as being vivid. But anything that was different than that, they have called as being representations of apostasy. Now, let's get into this thing about Seth. And there's two ways to read the spelling of Seth. It could be S-E-T-H or S-H-E-T-H. They both are the same. But let's look at Genesis 4.25. Let's just read something there. Oh, and before I get into that, you may think that the word Job only existed in one book, but that would not be true. The word Job also existed in the 46th chapter of Genesis. And it shows in the 46th chapter of Genesis a, a line of, of descent. And it says, And the sons of Issachar, Tula and Puva, and Job, and Shimron. So Job is listed here in the 46th chapter of Genesis. J-O-B, as a son of Issachar. And there's a whole story there, but not for today. So now we're going to Genesis 4. And we want to read something very important. Okay? So, let's look at something. Chapter 4, verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps, which means that's the Tetragrammaton, that's the name Yahweh or Yahweh, that's very, very important. So Cain was born, and he was called a man from the Lord. But this man from the Lord ended up killing his brother, Abel. Now then, as we look at Genesis 4, 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth, S-E-T-H. For God, said she, has appointed me another seed instead of Abel. Now just in case some of you people have thought, as probably Eve herself may have thought at some point, that Abel was regenerated. The scripture here is pretty plain, clear, that instead of that person, there was another entity that became this Seth, S-E-T-H. Now, we do not deny that in the book of the generations of Adam, in the collective regeneration aspect, that Abel would have an inclusion, and so would even Cain. And we'll talk about that. But now, let's read the rest of this. And let's read this from 25, verse 25 of the fourth chapter. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth, for God, she said, has appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also, there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. 
Then began began men to call upon the name of the L-O-R-D, capital, Lord. Now, this is so important, this teaching I'm going to do here today. So absolutely important, because it, it, it answers a lot of questions. We know that in the book of Jude, Verse 14, or if you want to call it chapter 114, that it says Enoch was the seventh from Adam. But if you go to the book of, of Chronicles, when it starts off with the genealogy of Adam, it doesn't mention Cain, and it doesn't mention Abel, but it starts off with Saith. And it spells saith with an H, S-H-E-T-H instead of S-E-T-H. But obviously when you read it, it is that same saith. Now, why is that important? Well, let's just do some counting. Let's start with the offspring of Adam. Start with Cain, one, Abel, two, Seth, three, son of Seth, Enos, four, then Canaan, five, then Enos, uh, no, and then, and then I'm a Haliel, and then Canaan, again is mentioned, but after Mahaliel is mentioned Jared, and then is mentioned Enoch. But when you count these different ones, Cain, Seth, Enoch, Canaan, Mahaliel, Jared, you don't get to the point where that makes seven. Count, you know, that, that Enoch becomes seven. You get a different count. And that does not, that does not even mention the fact that there were also in between here that there was there was women that were born, but none of the women are mentioned in between the seven. But in fact, what is happens here is that one person is left out, and obviously that would have to be Cain, because when you count this up. And you leave Cain out and you count Abel, Seth, Enos, Cain, Mahaliel, Jareth, that's six. And then you go to seven, that's Enoch. So we see in this count of Jude that Cain is left totally out of the picture like he didn't exist. And then in Chronicles 1, verse 1, it starts with Seth and leaves both Abel and Cain out of that chronological descent. What does that mean? It means some very absolute important things. Absolute important. Okay, now, let's, let's look at this. 
and let's see how that we're going to be able to see something here that is absolutely awesome. Um, we're going to see that that there is a is a description here in the word uh, that tells and gives away an insight, an absolute insight. Um, let's skip over. I'm probably going to come back, but let's skip over to Exodus 6. And just give you this information so as I go back to it, you'll have a better idea. Verse 6. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I shall do to Pharaoh. And with a strong hand shall he let you go. Verse 2. And God spoke unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. Capital O, capital O, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. D. I am. You got the I am there. Don't forget that. I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham and Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by the name Jehovah was I not known to them. I was not known to them by that name. You're talking about some great men. Abraham didn't know. Isaac didn't know it. And Jacob didn't know it. Whatever this thing was that Moses knew, these other great, incredibly great men Mo that Moses is told by God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not know this name. And yet, when you get into the Scripture, um, like Exodus um, 3.14. Let's look, go back to Exodus 3.14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of the Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And moreover unto Moses, thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Egypt, of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name. What is my name? I am that I am. This is my name. Now get it. I want you to get this. This is my name forever. And this is a memorial unto all generations. Now I am and I am the Tetrachromaton, the four-letter word has been translated by the manifester, by the manifest, the holy manifest, as Yah and Yah. Now this is very important, Yah and Yah. Okay? Now, let's... Um, Let's go, um, and we're going to look at another scripture here. Um, so, so we're we're going to um, we're going to go back over into into Genesis, and we're going to find some very very important, very very uh, definite things.
Now, what is important about this revelation? What is extremely important about this revelation? Well, in the scripture, it says, and let's just read this in Genesis 5, 4, and 5. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And Seth lived 105 years and begat Enos. Okay. Now let's look at verse 3. And Adam lived 130 years and beget a son in his own likeness, after his image, and he called his name Seth. Now, when we get into this revelation, we really, really get into this revelation. We come into such outstanding, awesome darkness that no wonder people have not been able to see it or understand it. The name not revealed that I read to you about in Exodus 6, 2 through 3, the name that is the name for all generations I read to you in Exodus 3, 14 through 15. And then in 5, this person is given a name called Seth and he is made in the image of Adam. There is no other person that's ever been, ever been spoken of like that. So now we've got Seth in the image of Adam, his father. Then we've got Adam in Corinthians. There being a first Adam and there being a second Adam. And then in Luke 4, and I think it's verse 38, it in the genealogy of Jesus, this connection of Adam being the Son of God. The Son of God being Jesus. Then we have Moses who writes and he says, there's going to be one come after me. And this person that's going to come after me is going to be like unto me. There's the image thing. And then we have in the New Testament where Paul very clearly says, this person like unto Moses, beyond a shadow of a doubt, was Jesus Christ. So now what do we have here? What do we have? Well, we have Seth that was in the likeness of Jesus Christ. when you take it all of the way through, because Adam and Adam, I'm going to be longer. Adam and Adam are connected. And as we get into this connection of the Adam and Adam connection, and I'm, I'm, I won't have time to scripturalize you today like I will next week. 
but it is utterly awesome. What you've got is a clear showing that all of these likeness and image and all of that is that Seth was made in the image of Adam. Moses was made in the image of Adam because he was in the image of, of one likened to him, of Jesus. And so how that he was made in that image is because he was the regeneration of Seth. And what was the job of Seth? The job of Seth was to bring back Cain and Abel. And when we go into all of the reckonings and we see how that through the line of ascent and descent and through Ham, there came the, the, the Canaanites. And we see that through Enos came a different spelling, but Canaan, C-A-I-N, that has the word Cain in it. So Enos is a very, very unusual name. And I want to get into the roots of that name and all of the unusualness of it. I want to get into the roots of the name Saith and all the unusual connections. And I want to show you that the reason when God said Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never knew this. They were all and always involved in the invisible God part of the Yah. The Jehovah invisible God part. But Moses got the revelation of the Yah and the Yah. And he got the revelation of the Yah that had a physical body that had taken on physical flesh. And that had never been known, and that was the dark side of Moses. And that was something he discovered, my God. He began to discover what his purpose was, was these people that were connected to the giants and had intermarried with the giants that followed Astoreth, false heavenly uh, type of, of gods that were under the control of, of Lucifer, Satan, and Nimrod revelation, that those people, like Cain, had lost their birthright and lost their soul right and had become a dark horde, but even though they had done what they had done, they had not committed the abominable sin. And so there had to be this purification, and these were dispersed in the Canaanites, which indirectly, but in a follow-through continuity of ascendance and descendants, belonged back to these unfulfilled persons that were going to be lost, that God didn't want to be lost, but wanted them to have salvation. And he had to destroy those bodies 
and those people. And Moses had the job to go out there and destroy these people that had the cane seed in them. And you see the parallel where they, when it, it tells about, about them, how that in chapter 4, Cain went out uh, from the presence of the Lord, and he dwelt in the land of Nod, Genesis 4, 16. And, and Cain knew his wife and conceived and bare Enoch. He built a city, and he names all these people, the Mahujael and, and Lamech and, 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 and all of these sort of divine names. But it isn't for hundreds and hundreds of years later that Saith begins to name this son Enos. And I wanted to show you that revelation of Enos and the revelation of the name Saith and how that it says after, and he called his name Enos, then began, began men to call upon the name of the L-O-R-D. This, isn't, this is the L-O-R-D, the Tetrachomaton Revelation. Then, then they begin to get the Tetrachomaton Revelation of the Yah and the Yah. And that is the most profound thing. And that's why this revelation of Jesus Christ is so profound. Because the Bible says in John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh. And that Word made flesh gave us the second Yah, the Yah and the Yah, which was the Word made flesh. And that was the revelation that Moses got in the burning bush that Abraham did not know, that Isaac did not know, that Jacob did not know. And the whirlwind and the churnings and the rushing winds of the Holy Ghost revealed that to Moses. And Moses, the job that he had was to go out and, and the Bible explains it in Ezekiel like this. It said, see this great graveyard out here of, of, of bones? It said, we have to do something about that. They got to be changed. They got to be brought back. The whole Israel is not just Israel. It goes all the way back to the generations of, Ab of Adam. We've got to do something about it. You've got to breathe on them the wind, the whirlwind. And in the whirlwind revelation is the revelation. And I just want to read that in, as I get ready to close here. But in Numbers 24, it is so absolutely awesome what it says. It's all there, folks. It's all there. And it was by a prophet called Balaam. And he saw this thing. And in Numbers 24, 17, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter. The scepter is the rod, this whole rod ministry. 
the rod that Moses was holding up. As long as he held up that rod and all that it meant, they won. The victory as described it in Ezekiel where it says, and I took them away for their own good. They were to have a better regeneration. The Bible says that there had to be ten generations before they would be accepted to be able to be brought into the house of the Lord. And a star shall come out of Jacob, and the scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of S-H-E-T-H of Seth. The children of Seth are all of these Canaanites, That was what Moses was involved in because that's who he was. And out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. And then in this beautiful point, verse 21, and he looked on the Kenites and he looked, took up this parable and said, Strong is thy dwelling place. Thou puttest thy nest in a rock, the rock of ages, the symbol of that, the Sela rock, where these people of, of Edomites, the offspring of Lot, two daughters, and then the, the people that were the Canaanites, and all of this that was going on and that would reach on over to the other side of their dwellings to where the giants were that were, trying, that were just before Mount Hermon blocking the way to that. Those had to all be destroyed. Those had to be wiped out so that the lost hordes could have a chance at redemption. It's quite the story, Janet.